Thank you, everybody, for joining. Um, we're still, as I mentioned, waiting for the last uh, panelist to, uh, to join in, too, but um, she still um, has some um, technical issues, but um, I'm sure she'll, uh, she'll be with us very soon. So um, let's start. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to our third and last day of um, this year's Digital Only 154 Forum. I'm Julia. This is my colleague, Yvette. Hello. <laughs> We're the founders and editors-in-chief of Contemporary End and Contemporary End America Latina and as well this year's uh, curators of this um, yeah, very special and so far very great 154 Forum. Um, maybe just some quick words. Um, during the last uh, days we've seen and heard um, fantastic and as well very yeah, important uh, exchanges and discussions between uh, cultural producers from Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa, and the global diaspora, uh, focusing on acute um, topics such as invisibility, um, modes of resistance, or alternative forms of speaking to audiences in the frame of the global pandemic, obviously. And for the next hour, um, our panel titled A View from Another Side of Things uh, brings together a great group of uh, cultural producers from Afro-Colombian perspectives to discuss the notions of inequality and invisibility in the context of Colombia's creative and arts sector. So we're looking extremely forward to it and thanks so much um, for being here with us from all over the place, uh, literally. Um, maybe three important infos for you, the audience. Um, we have a live translator, Maria, for Spanish into English. Um, so if you prefer to listen to the panel um, in English or in Spanish, please choose in the below menu, the language or interpretation menu, what language you want to listen to. Um, this panel will be again recorded for people to, um, to listen to it afterwards or if they can't attend now. And uh, finally, please don't be shy to um, write comments and questions in the chat below <clears throat> and we'll be happy to share them with our panelists. And I quickly want to introduce our moderator, Wilfred Prado, there, <laughs> um, before handing over to him. So um, Will Fredo is a non-binary artist, writer and editor exploring power dynamics, cultural dislocation and the intersection of pop culture, decolonial thoughts, blackness, queerness and technology. Born in Portugal uh, of Guatemalan and Cape Verdean heritage, Will is based in Berlin in Germany. Um, since 2017, Will is the deputy editor of Contemporary End and previously the art and digital um, editor of Sleek magazine. In their practice um, or artistic practice, Zoe um, Will works with images and texts to explore decoloniality and global south epistemology. So, Thanks so much and welcome. And um, yeah, I hand over to you, Will. Hola a todos. Uh, buenos dias. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Thank you, Julia and Yvette, for the invite. And thank you to 154 for uh, organizing and for inviting us. And thank you to all the uh, guests and those participating, wherever you are. So this conversation will deal with art and Afro-Colombianity. And I am going to introduce, very shortly, I'm going to introduce our guests. 
I'm going to start with Ramiro Camelo, who is a curator at Mimala 2, which is a, an artist-run space in uh, Finland. He obtained his master's degree in curating contemporary art at the Royal, Royal College of Art in London. Also, he has conducted some uh, curatorial projects, includes um, uh, in Royal College Art Gallery in London and also uh, Galleria Santa Fe in Bogota. We also have Nicolás Vizcaíno Sánchez. He is a, an Afro-descendant artist based in Bogota, working from multimedia installations, um, critical writing and editorial practice. Uh, even to, I mean, obviously he has conducted uh, curatorial projects. Uh, among some of his projects is uh, the um, Bogota International Book Fair, Eva International Islands Biennale, and um, also the Feria Plana in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And finally, Carmen Sambanguera. She's a plastic artist from Santiago de Cali in Colombia with a degree from the Departmental Institute of Fine Arts in Cali. Her artistic research um, deals with um, the basically all in all his work, but basically in the installation, he explores blackness and how the social ethical identity goes beyond um, to touch commercial, political, and historic aspects. His work has been shown in different exhibitions in the Arab Emirates um, states in Ecuador, the United Arab Emirates, Argentina, Ecuador, and Colombia. And uh, I would just like to share with you that this year I've lived for five months in Bogota and Medellin. Also, she has conducted some investigations on uh, uh, the art and um, Afro-Colombian Afro-Colombianness, and she has also researched the liberating aspect of the dancers with the appropriation of the. Uh, white uh, mixed race um, paradigm. Colombia is very much known by its biodiversity, but Colombia has a demographic and ethnic diversity, which is amazing. The local representation of art in Bogota exists. It is a reality, but the national representation is not that uh, evident. It's not that clear. And we can see that in the media. Bogota itself, it is the art of contemporary art in Colombia. It is a center, it is a hub. It's a very much white and mixed-raced um, city, and this influences people from racialized groups and their access to contemporary art and the type of work which is produced. That is to say, the option of working with arts for people of racialized groups is not a normalized option. Therefore, I'm going to ask my guests, I'm going to ask them to tell me a short story of the careers on arts within the Colombian context. I'm going to start with Carmenza. Carmenza, me escuchan? Carmenza, can you hear me? Oh, Ramiro? Oh, Ramiro? Hello, yes. I don't think Carmenza has been able to solve her issues. 
um, with the technicalities. But well, first of all, I have to tell you that I left Colombia in 2001. I came back for a few years in 2014 until 2016. And obviously my view has to do very much with my life over there, which was basically in the 90s. I studied sociology at the National University where we had a group and I remember in uh, 1990, we had a group of Afro-Colombians that we started a editorial, editorial or publishing project. It was a magazine which was published every time we could. And our interest really was to publish this magazine twice a year. But I mean, we ended up just being able to publish once a year. It was called Afro-America. That was the name of the magazine in which a group of more or less 10 university students at the National University of Colombia, we had uh, we, we did activism in a very academic way. I mean, the idea was to have a more sort of a wider approach, but it ended up being a more academic type of magazine. In those years, I started organizing exhibitions, and it was very evident that uh, there weren't many Afro-Colombian artists. There were two Afro-Colombian artists in the National University. One it was Liliana Angulo, and the other one was, was an artist, I can't remember her name, but there were only two Afro-Colombian students at the National University in the art department, and we all knew them. Uh, for example, the National University at that time, I think they had at the time 15,000 in the Bogota campus from those, uh, I think we were 20, 25 Afro-Colombian students at that time at the university. So that gives you an idea of more or less the lack of representation we had at the university. Uh, in those years, uh, which was between the 90s yeah, up to the 97. Thank you. Nicolas? Hi, Will. Differently from what Ramiro tells us, not only because of the generation, but also because I went to a private university here in Bogota, the access of uh, black people in general to the university I mean, we're not even talking about the arts uh, career, but it was a very limited access. This was the university, which is uh, much more elitist and much more closed. It is also much smaller than the public funded university. And uh, during my time at the university, we were just a few of us who were just around there and it was another one was my brother and my cousin and I was the only Afro-descendant who acknowledged himself as a Afro-descendant and it really has a harsh impact in what later on was my academic uh, trajectory and my um, training really but coming from these uh, fine arts and arts uh, background the question has always been which are these spaces not only for the training for formation but also which are the socializing spaces of uh, racialized people like we are or those like myself who acknowledge ethnicality who acknowledge our ethnicity uh, if we go to Santiago de Cali, probably comments, I will be able to explain us a little bit more about that city. That city, the 
black people are more visible there in Santiago de Cali. But other than that, we do have uh, big bottlenecks in other areas in Colombia. So more than anything else, I think that experience has been very much marked by that experience I've lived. You also talked about the acknowledgement, the identification of being black, of being Afro-descendant. There are also people who are Afro-descendant, but they don't identify themselves as black people. What we have in Colombia precisely and for those of you who don't know Colombia very well, in Colombia we have at least three, four category. Like, for example, like uh, well, we have different uh, names, like palenquero, as we say in Spanish. And, uh, 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 well, you have this has to do really with the specific aspects geographically located, and that's very much with the origin of these people, but also to the uh, this has to do very much with the political process that people are identify, identifying themselves with. So, yes, there is a process of identities, several identities, which at the same time it works like a definition framework. Obviously, there are people who just don't care about that they don't identify themselves as Afro-descendants. However, yes, the, I mean, it is very changing really, according to the context. I would like to uh, say something. I remember probably what really define the concept of ethnicity is what I had in our identity card and the first my first identity card, uh, it is the race or the ethnicity. I remember the definition of a race in my identity card, it was trigueño. That's the name given, which um, trigueño is, I mean, the color of trigueño. Trigueño makes reference to the wheat. So you didn't, it didn't say black, it was like uh, other white or trigueño, that's the name given in Spanish for something which is not really black nor white. I think that concept uh, was removed, I mean, to have a category for the race in the identity card. And which are the reasons why we have people Afro-descendant people who don't identify, who don't want to identify like Afro-descendant in uh, Colombia. Um, so there is a friend of mine who uh, prepared a documentary entitled Black with Black Gives Heat. I asked him if he has this online. This is a small short video clip in YouTube. The documentary really tried to present the endogenous racism. He lives in Cartagena and it is the only place where I have a story and I'm not going to tell you this story, but in Cartagena there is a racism which is a very, very, very much entrenched racism. And many people know that the only way to 
um, overcome resistance to making them whiter. I mean, that's basically to use your hair straighter and to dress in a way that you can really overcome these barriers and to be able to work for the government and things like that. There are many reasons really why these people decide to whiten themselves. So that's why he, my friend, talks about the endogenous racism in Cartagena and people saying that many people from the black race, they try to move uh, to, to really to sort of stay away from the blackness to be a bit more neutral, to be able to move in both places of society. Um, do you think this is different in a, the contemporary art scene? Do you think artists are a bit different in doing this? How do you see this? I don't think so. Sometimes within what I was telling you about that we had a magazine that someone I would like to mention, I don't think many people know, it is Angel Perez Escobar. I don't know if you've heard his name. He's a journalist, a Colombian journalist, a person that for us, he was a very great influencer. He was the only Afro-Colombian journalist in Colombia in the 90s. He had a column in a national paper and he wrote the Regain story in four parts in the El Espectador, which was a national nationwide newspaper. I wanted to put together a group. Our dream was really to uh, have a magazine like the equivalent of Ebony in Colombia. And he was a person we met up with to see if it was possible. And we realized that, that was very difficult. Why? Because the most important Afro-Colombian people in Colombia, they belong to music or sports. Other than that, we don't have anybody else. So the only person with maybe uh, became a main figure outside sport, sports and music, uh, who is someone who is not interested in, police, in politics, was Cordoba. We were interested in how we could get to Colombian musicians and to Colombian uh, sports uh, people who were really interested in talking about the race and the ethnicity and to be able to advocate for blackness. But uh, we realized these people really weren't um, very much interested in talking about race and ethnicity because for them it was like closing down doors. So. Um, yeah, we had the possibility of uh, had in our hands the um, giant steps uh, copy and we said we don't have that uh, equivalent, Karim Ajubar, this sports person uh, in Colombia you know, who would like to talk about a race like Nina Simone, for example. We didn't have anyone equivalent to that in Colombia because the people, the big figures in Colombia, Afro-descendant, uh, in sports and in music, other than um, Elia Zapata and some, just a few of them that um, uh, she died uh, from a malaria complication when she was in Africa. But other than that, people, important, famous people in sports and music, they weren't really interested in talking about race. And uh, so that's why the dream we had never came to fruition. Um, yeah, now, Maria, I just thought maybe um, you can ask um, Carmen. 
Yes, I'm trying. I'm trying. I, I've talked to Will about that. And I think she can't hear. Um, yes, I, I'm trying to talk to Will to see if we'll... Okay. Yes. Maybe do this. Because I don't think she can hear me. Julia. Maybe ask the next question and Nicolas and Ramiro can start answering and she can read it at the same time and then okay. answer the question coming third place. You know what I mean? <clears throat> okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, so um, moving on and talking about what you have just said, Ramiro, the main topic of uh, the quote of uh, this forum, who is an Afro-Peruvian artist, enters, he said, I was like a New York black person trapped in Peru. And for me, it seems very important um, to, to really have read this quote. It's very specific for Peru. Because in Colombia, representation, for example, and more popular arts, it is something valid, as I, and we do have lots of them, like as you said, in music and sports. But I'm more specifically talking here about music like Cumba, uh, Salsa, uh, Champeta, I'm talking about the niche group, uh, who are, yes, um, there is a um, wider Afro-descendant representation in Colombia. So I think there is a, an imbalance of cultural Afro-representation in Colombia, but th there is something, whereas in Peru, it is much less than what we can see in Colombia, and more especially with regards to um, dance. Uh, we have the uh, Palenque from Elia Zapata Oliveira. We have also the Acajú. We have uh, the uh, Lanfrog and others. How do you see the popular representation, the Afro-Colombian Afro-Colombian representation in contemporary arts? And esa pregunta es para mí. Para todos. Pero Carmenza ya ya entró. With us now? Is Carmenza with us? Oh, I think she's on the other channel. No, she's not. She's not hearing me. No, I'm checking. Yeah. I'm trying to talk to her in the Spanish channel, but she can't hear me. Probably she doesn't have the updated Zoom. Ah, yeah, cool. Because I don't see it in the chat. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I'm here. Yes. Okay. Okay. Carmenza, me oyes? Carmenza, me oyes? She's on mute. Carmenza, me oyes? 
Sí, pues si quieren, yo voy arrancando mientras también. Mm -hmm. Carmen, so I'm going to start while we see if Carmesa can hear us. Sí. Uh, okay, so if I understood your question correctly, it is the idea on which are these separation lines within the, uh, between the visual art, uh, the contemporary arts and the other representations uh, more understood as popular culture, um, as we normally call it. In, uh, in uh, Colombia, we identify, identify a process which has to do very much, in my opinion, it is a very personal opinion, this one, but I think it has to do with the spaces of possibility of managing representations. And I feel that historically, music has been a space of possibility which has even resisted itself to the whitening and it has been always present and it is in the music uh, of the Caribbean coast, coast which are one of the um, front runners in entering this conversation, the Caribbean coast. Um, when we get into this conversation of the black identities and it is within the conversation uh, between uh, Cartagena, Barranquilla, and in the Magdalena, and uh, this conversation with the um, Antilles, with um, even with uh, Western Africa, when we talk uh, about the 20th century, and this communication, this constant communication of the musical language, I believe. Uh, there is a section or space within the Colombian society, which is a very important one, which managed to conquer the autonomy, the legitimacy that it enjoys today. The champeta, for example, or the salsa music, which is the salsa made in Colombia, not only the international salsa. And obviously the influence and uh, the lap of the cumbia and the bayonato, but also I see this for the Pacific coast and even for the movement into the countryside and the Pacific coast with the music's influence by hip hop in Buenaventura because it's a harbor city and because it generates the new spectrum of music with the Choco and with the contact of um, Panama Dembo as well um, and different music genres. Uh, what I'm talking about here is that there is this transnational conversation very close to what we can do now today, uh, speaking from Finlandia, Finland, Cali, Colombia, Berlin and London. This is happening as well for the Caribbean coast, for the Pacific coast in Colombia uh, since the beginning of the 20th century in the music uh, landscape and obviously for music and for dance. So just to summarize, uh, there is a, a huge spectrum of possibility, which is not only a um, concession really, which has been given to the black people, the expression of Afro aspects. It is really a space which has been fought for and that has been worn for more than a hundred years in the music industry, in the record industry. It is a pathway really to understand, I believe, this um, scene. Do you think there are specific reasons uh, for which, for example, there are so many um, divisions uh, among these different uh, aspects of artistic Afro 
production in Colombia. So you have the Colombia salsa, uh, plastic arts is in a different aspect and dances differently from the other two. Although there is a movement of contemporary dance and Afro-contemporary dance in Colombia, it is not uh, seen in galleries and in museums. Um, why do you think there is this clear uh, division between the contemporary art and other Afro-Colombian arts? I think this is due to the fact that Bogota is basically the center, the hub, which sort of uh, um, drags or dredge everything really that is not in Bogota. In my opinion, for example, uh, in, in the 90s, um, any artist, uh, Afro-Colombia or not, could create a name without Bog or outside Bogota. I had, for example, artists, I've known them that had some of uh, his or her work in the most important art fair, but these were artists who lived outside Bogota and due to economic reasons, he couldn't, they couldn't live in Bogota. I remember artists from Bucaramanga, from Barranquilla, from Cali, he, they couldn't afford to live in Bogota and therefore they had to disappear for a long time for that reason, because they couldn't afford to live in Bogota and it was Bogota where the museums were, the galleries were. So this has changed, it has changed a lot because today we have uh, residences with international names like in Cali, in Barranquilla, you have um, La Usurpadora, for example. In the 90s, this wasn't uh, possible. Either you were in Bogota or you didn't exist for art. So I believe this advantage, I don't know if the artists of the different regions are making the most of it, although there are some regional forums or uh, fair, I don't know if these uh, regional um, uh, arts exhibitions, if they do have some influence on what is going on in Bogota, but in my experience in the 90s, it was a very centrality, a very strong center, Bogota-centered um, dynamics. You had to be in Bogota to be someone. Yes, that geographic space that Ramiro was talking about, it is strengthened not only because of the barriers which existed within the art, the plastic and contemporary art world or the exhibition art, but precisely it has to do with everything which has to do with the structure really basically just to understand that the art schools, and we go back to the first question, the art schools which train professionally those who would then be artists like us. And those art uh, schools, they didn't have a very much strong emphasis for the visual plastic training to be also a completely uh, legitimate a normal expression within the black communities. So it became more a way of strengthening the idea that if you want to exercise art, being a black person, either you had to dance or perform music. So there is a kind of a stereotyping of which are the arts uh, permitted in this regard, because when we, not only in the 90s, but even today, when we go to the artist uh, training programs, 
like in the Chocó knowledge, for example, these art schools, when they, in the last few years before the students um, graduate in high school, the possibilities of uh, working in art is basically music, and that's it, it's only music. You do have some um, uh, conductors, but uh, basically you don't have enough number of um, professionals in the virtual arts. So I think it has to do with the structuring aspect of education in the scenarios where you foster people, you encourage people to participate in those galleries and museums and exhibitions, as you mentioned. Okay, thank you. Carmenza, me escuchas? Estoy intentando hablar con Carmenza a través del canal en inglés. Carmenza, ¿me oyes? ¿Me pueden escuchar? Sí. Yo la escucho. I can't hear her. ¿Me escuchan? Sí, Ahí yo te escucho. Sí, ya se escuchó. Bueno, en lo personal, hola, ¿cómo están? En lo... Ok, so personally. Como artista, también hace un poco de resistencia. So as an artist, it's basically to try to resist, I believe, uh, during the last few years. So I think basically these cultural centers is more like... De participaciones en meses como el febrero o en mayo, porque febrero es para muchas. Like, for example, most of these institutions are focused in February or March. And in May, there's important celebration in Colombia. Yes, the audio is very bad. We can't really hear what you're saying. If you try to turn off your camera, the connection could improve. Yes, that would be good. It is the Wi-Fi connection, yes. Could you please turn off the camera, Carmenza? And try to speak to see if it if it improves a little bit. Hello. 
está escribiendo que continuemos, Carmenza, seguramente. Okay. She wants us to carry on. Okay. So. Okay, so. Although Bogota is not the only artistic center in Colombia anymore, it is still the main contemporary art center in Colombia. And my question is, what does this mean with regards to the funding state or funding of the sub-state funding of the other regions? More specifically, for the Choco and for the coastal areas. I mean, what is the role of the development of Afro-contemporary art in Colombia? I mean, and the importance of the location. I think something that something that Romero has been talking about a few minutes ago is the way that nationally we encourage artistic production. I mean, the most widely known format is the artist national room uh, or forum, which is not only happening in Bogota, it goes around different regions in the country, but then it is complemented with the regional uh, events, which had been the platforms where these uh, there has been an encouragement for the regional events like um, the whole Pacific from Cali to Cauca until the Cauca, even until Mariño, the Caribbean coast as well uh, with, um, has participated. And I believe it has been the way in which the money has been circulating around and the, uh, the effort really has been concentrated. It is the idea of trying to um, trying to have this autonomy. And Romero could also explain this better than myself. But I think that since the 90s, there, there has been a great difference to what we can see today. And in most of the regions what that Romero has mentioned, we have in Cali and we have in other uh, areas. We do have a strong um, regions with a strong art centers um, and this has to do with the idea that gradually the money has been circulated in a different direction. Obviously funding is going to be very, um, it's not going to be enough and in the country specifically for the arts it has been very much marked by the politics. The way in which we conceive culture for our country it is always a um, political uh, position which is very much um, disputed, but at the same time, it is a way to just position the political agendas of the different governments. And the Minister of Culture, who is an Afro-descendant, she doesn't have any connection whatsoever with the art. Um, she does have a political connection with the President. And with regards to the pandemic, something which is not new but has been seen now. It is the way of uh, how money uh, fundings which should have been destined to 
culture has been going to the what we call the orange economies which are the uh, cultural industries which is a political project of this government to finance to definance the individual or the autonomous independent artistic production which has been growing the different territories and this is a reaffirmation of the fact that culture is completely politicized in this aspect and very much linked to the memory of what we want to tell and what is the narrative we want to put out there and what we want to be seen as the national memory. In this particular aspect, I will have to go back in history, in my experience at least. I remember one of the things that we've managed to uh, achieve with the Afro-Colombia movement in the 90s was the Law 70 from 1993, which created the rights of Afro-descendant communities. It was a national project, if you wish, that basically could be applied to different levels. I don't know until what extent this was further studied. Also, we have to mention that these um, uh, law 1122 from the Ministry of Education also uh, implemented the subject of the Afro-Colombian studies. So, I mean, these kind of projects, I think these are interesting. I mean, in my opinion, policies which will benefit to a particular group, they are not um, positively regarded. I remember at the National University, we had a program called Program for Students from Poor or Underprivileged students, which uh, basically the best students for um, a municipality with less than 10,000 inhabitants, they will have direct access to the national universities without any request of exams. I saw cases during my time at the university. I saw a student like uh, Ponedere town in the Atlantic coast. He could never really even dream of going to study in Barranquilla because he came from a very, very poor family. He could have access to the national university and to have an education as anybody else. Although many people don't regard this kind of project as positive, I think they help us to have this more balanced. Uh, system. Do we do have some specific scholarships for some ethnic groups? I think there should be some special scholarship for some Afro-Colombian uh, population or some indigenous population to really balance even more these um, demographics and this representation. But this has to be a continuous uh, policy, which obviously we don't have this in Colombia as something that has taken very short period of time. Thank you. So we're going to start with um, some questions from the public. I have the first one here in English. I'm going to write to read it. Entonces, en términos de la... So with regards to the invisibility of the Afro art in Colombia, which has been the positive influence of internet and social media and technology. Yes, how 
which has been the positive influence of internet and technology in the um, greater visibility of Afro art in Colombia. So what I think is that not only for the Afro art, but also in, I mean, obviously today we do have more global visibility. We're not associated to a very specific art space. And artists have more access to information. Even artists couldn't apply to international residency today. He or she is able to do this. And obviously this is an advantage that uh, I don't know in my time when there was a call for paper that was published in a notice board and uh, those who were in Bogota, who went to the Isatex, I mean, I wanted to go there because I wanted to go abroad, but that was the only place where you could see the call for papers. It was on a notice board. And they said that this wasn't um, published in a wider way because they only wanted a few people and very specific people to be able to apply. But everything now is open. You can go to the internet and everything is more sort of more readily available. So that, for example, is a positive example, I would say. The experience is very extreme, as Ramiro is telling us. But yes, obviously it could happen that uh, as a, it would be a very utopic view to think of internet as the main change that can really bring different worlds together but if there are some structuring aspects which had not been sorted out in the different territories and even in Bogota and Cali and Cartagena themselves it's not really the access which can make the difference in terms of visibility or invisibility obviously it, it contributes this really a tool but what we are I mean, what we are trying to talk about here when we talk about invisibility um, is discourses and uh, structures, which are material structures, which um, pose a hurdle for our representations to go forward, not only as the circulation of images, but at the as the uh, expression or the allowed expression talking about the afro-descendant women and men and artists with uh, different uh, orientations in the museums in this country in the largest collection which is the museum of the bank of the republic museum the uh, these kind of representations don't even reach two percent there could be a process of visibility or, or gradual visibility. The internet could speed up, could help to speed up. But if we're talking about the policies of acquisitions, if we're talking about the exhibition spaces, if we're talking about the funding of careers and education, internet is just going to be just a tap on the shoulder to have internet or not. It's going to be just a tap on the shoulder, really. It's not going to make that great of a difference. However, uh, younger people, especially younger women, Afro-descendant younger women in Cali, in Bogota, in Barranquilla as well, in Medellin, they are creating space. I'm going to tell you about three projects, which I believe they are very well centered and very well 
thought about the internet till one is the Savace Arte you can uh, choose for you can look it up in Instagram and the Savace Arte they they have a very uh, very elegant way of um, showing and exposing the black uh, art and the universe of younger generations which are very much connected with the Dominican Republic with New York so there's a very international perspective on diverse arts like music visual arts performance and it has been a an effort which is very valuable to make this online platform which has been codified and as Instagram and to turn it into a gallery. Another project I could mention is Plentitude, which is a project of a of Laura Campas in Cali. And she's preparing a catalogue. It is a catalogue of uh, visual Afro-Colombian artists. It is very worthy to see it because if we want to uh, do this exercise, which we could think it is an easy thing to do in internet, but we don't have any basic catalogue where we put together the names and some kind of information on the people, the artists producing this kind of art. And in a more sort of interdisciplinary domain we have the Wida Monikongo which is a visual art um, collective we have uh, Ms Angulo she's a great Colombian artist Liliana Angulo she's also part of uh, this and also um, uh, Mr Perea as Ramiro said and also younger people from other processes they are all involved in this particular one and the, there has been an effort of uh, amplifying and bringing more people and bringing more exhibitions especially of Afro-descendant visual art with uh, cinema exhibitions with um, workshops and these are spaces which are very valuable and they are contributing to this greater visibility from the social uh, networks and social media. We do have more questions on the influence of artists, Afro-Colombian artists in the continent, in the whole continent. And the question has to do with the fact if you have heard about this influence in the whole continent and how Afro-Colombian artists had influenced other people and artists in in the American, in Latin America, like Brazil, Costa Rica, Panama, Peru, Ecuador. Okay. I think we have to talk about I mean, um, we have to talk about, for example, different artists uh, with the, uh, the digital aspects from public policy, from a plastic work and um, her work, which is a uh, huge. I think if there has been some kind of not only the influence, but also the uh, connections of the diaspora uh, connections in the region. I don't know specific cases, but um, I think, for example, a project, which is a recent uh, project of hers, I'm really interested in the uh, train of thought of her art production, which has to do with 
performing or conducting historic repair, for example, in the civil archives in Spain, I'm making up this uh, very important uh, aspect to talk about the presence of black artists from the botanic expedition. Uh, we have Celestina Mutis in the 18th century, for example, drawers also who were there in that expedition and they were black like Walter Rizzo, uh, if I'm not mistaken his name, but also showing that um, as not only to acknowledge the artists, but also that the the botanic expedition was a colonial uh, slavery um, linked company. And I think to talk about this, and here is where we have the willingness to understand that this is a continental process in the case of America. And with this regard is to open up a conversation, it's not talking just about Colombia and its specificities, but what have we had in common with our uh, nearest neighbors and obviously with the Atlantic world. Ramiro, I don't know it because, as I said, I haven't lived in the region recently for a long time, so I don't think I could say anything. I mean, it would be more as an exception than the norm if I mention something. What Nicolas has mentioned is very important. I would like to uh, contribute with anything else, but I don't think at this moment I could think of other uh, artists that um, Colombian artists, which had been a great influence in the rest of Latin America. There's another artist as international and um, Colombian artist as Botero. And if they, or someone as Botero, if have they talked about the representation or the Afro representation in Colombia, or this manifestation, this expression? No, as long as I'm aware, no. No, Botero or other artists. I think Nicolás is performing a research on the Afro-Colombian representation of modern and contemporary art, which could shed more lights on this. Yes. I think this topic, very shortly, trying to, trying to summarize this. We've had a tradition of visual representation of plastic arts of black people, which has been more towards the representation of white people, or what we call white mixed race of what, uh, what we have seen traditionally in Colombia. I was talking about the Afro-Colombian artists, um, participation in the main museums, not as artists. What it shows that if we're going to have representation of black people, this representation is going to be made by a white person. So here we have Guillermo Biderman, we have Hernando Tejada, we have um, also Julio Abril, Tena Rodriguez. So we have sculptures of modern um, of um, some 
representations of with a very interesting uh, plastic approach but at the end of the day what it shows is that it hasn't we haven't had a way of seeing ourselves of representing ourselves in the main museums um, i mean uh, it is not that it, they didn't exist they did exist but in the different places those who are going to exhibit about black people during many years is white artists. I mean, if we want to talk about black women, we're going to see what Osoyo did to go to Palenque to uh, portray uh, black women and girls. And this pattern of representation, I mean, this has to do with a political agenda. These are not isolated cases. It is not a coincidence. There is a way of blocking a lack of representation in our own terms because they don't want mobilization processes or greater identification processes. Luckily, this is not going to, to be enough to stop us. I mean, and these spaces are being conquered and these images are going to be defeated. I mean, just to say something that has nothing to do specifically on the, uh, the uh, ethnicity, Colombia ethnicity, I mean, the first statue um, that was put down in this, in this uh, sort of fashion of uh, putting down slavery related statues in a place, um, the statue which was put down on the conquistadors or the Spanish invaders, and this has to do with conquering these spaces of, of visibility that we want to conquer now. Thank you. So many different aspects I would like to share with you, but unfortunately we don't have more time. So thank you very much for your participation today. Thank you for your time and thank you for being here so early and waking up so early to stay with us. But that's here. It is the end of this conversation, although we still have so many things, interesting things to talk about. Thank you so much. I'm going to pass the floor to Julia. Yes, hi. Um, thank you so much. Um, yeah. It was very interesting and I, I wished I could just continue listening to you like for yeah. several more hours. So let's see <laughs> what, how we can actually, you know, make something more out of this to, to have more time and space to discuss these issues or write about these uh, topics. So I think it's very, very important what both yeah. of you have mentioned. And we're so sorry, comments. I don't know whether you're hearing us. Um, very sorry that um, you couldn't join the, the conversation. Um, we will find also other ways to somehow have a space where you can talk about your practice. So um, we will be in touch about that. So, so sorry. Um, and um, so we coming to an end now. We just wanted to let the audience know that there is another final panel coming up in an hour from now, which is um, called Relationship Status, It's Complicated, which is uh, looking into the situation in the context of the artistic scenes in, um, in Mexico, Peru and Argentina. Um, this will be also very interesting and kind of really closing in into certain aspects, I think also that you've mentioned here already on this panel. So um, thank you again um, to all of you. And um, just remember for those who maybe came in late, who have friends who missed the talk, 
This talk was recorded, so you can also see it on the 154 YouTube channel or listen to it uh, on the Spotify podcast by 154. So um, please, please do to make sure that you get all the interesting info that was said here today. So thank you so much and uh, see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. See you soon. Nice, yeah.